But I don't want to run away from these verses and the importance of what Jesus is referring to here. See, this whole event here and how we care for the marginalized or not has eternal significance. It matters deeply to Jesus. He is deeply concerned with how we treat the marginalized. In fact, he says, when you didn't do these things, you didn't, you didn't do them for me. That's all that matters. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Life Church Canton podcast. My name is Sam Parham. I'm the host for the show. Thanks so much for listening. This week is week number four of our series called This Is Us. In this week's message, Pastor Jared will be looking at the code statement, whatever it takes, wherever it takes us. And as I was listening to this message, uh, I have had a lot of memories kind of flood my mind of different stories that I've come in contact with over the years at Life Church. Um, there are a lot of people that have uh, followed the Spirit's leading and done whatever it took um, to be obedient to that, that calling from the Spirit. And uh, one of those people is um, our founding pastor, Alex Rahill. Um, and I'm very close with their family, and um, you know, Life Church wouldn't be here if he didn't follow the Holy Spirit's call. And this is convicting for me to just be listening to what the Holy Spirit has for my life. And I hope that as you listen to this message, you can kind of think through what is it that I need to give up? What, what is it going to take for me um, to be obedient to God's calling on my life? So here's Jared. Enjoy the message. Welcome to Life Church. My name is Jared Van Voorst. I'm one of the pastors. I want to say hello to anybody watching on Facebook Live. Feel free to comment at any point throughout this message. If you don't like it, I want to hear that too. I want to know why you don't like it. I want to interact with us. We want to be uh, an interactive community. Thank you for being here this morning. I want to just say, if you're a Michigan fan, um, I'll host my own prayer counseling session for all of you so that you can experience healing. And I want to be about solutions too, okay? So I have nothing to do with the Big Ten. I'm an Iowa State fan that's different than Ohio State. Don't get the two confused. So if you want to come to the, to the, the light side uh, and, and come to Iowa State and be a fan of them, I will be happy to take you. Now, welcome to Life Church. We're glad you're here. If you're new here, uh, thanks for joining us and checking us out. We hope you feel like you belong. Uh, and that's actually part of what we've been talking about throughout this series. We've been in a series called This Is Us. And so far, we've been talking about our code statements, what makes us, us. And we've been looking back at who we've been, who we are, uh, but also who we're becoming. And this is helpful for us to be talking about as an entire community because ultimately it keeps us on track. These codes are like guardrails that keep us on the highway towards where we're going. Because if we don't know where we're going, uh, then we're going to be aimless and have no focus and have no purpose, really. And so, so far we've talked about this idea. In fact, if you are, are in the room, we have these code statements right over there on our wall. If you're watching online, you can't see these, but I'll just mention them for you. You belong was the first week. Encounter Jesus the second week. And then last week we talked about the relentless pursuit of one more. Now, I don't know about you, uh, but for me, as I've been thinking through these code statements, uh, I, I can get on board with them, right? Like I, I can get on board pretty easily with you belong. I think that seems like a good thing to talk about, to, to make sure that we have an environment where people feel like they have a sense of belonging. I love encounter 
Jesus, right? Like we can learn more about who God is in, in scripture and we can sing and, and I like music. I, I might even get excited about this idea of relentlessly pursuing one more and telling people about Jesus. But here's the thing, and maybe some of you have been thinking this with me, as long as, as long as it's convenient for me, right? As long as it's convenient for me, I'll, I'll do all of these things. I'll tell somebody about Jesus as long as it fits within my little box and my way of doing things, as long as it fits within my schedule, as long as it's convenient for me. I don't know if you've been thinking through that or feel that even now as I say it, but our whole culture is built around convenience, isn't it, right? Like whole inventions and, and, and items of technology have been created for the sake of our convenience. Like we want to microwave everything we do. We want to do something just by touching a button. Or now we don't even have to touch a button. We just say, Siri, Alexa, uh, wife. No, we don't do that. <laughs> no, I don't know how that got in there. Um, hopefully she's not watching. Anyway, we want to microwave everything, right? Like out of our own conven- our convenience. But here's the thing is that when I read the gospel, my convenience really isn't factored into it at all. The gospel isn't really all that concerned with my convenience. And, and in fact, I would say that that's actually going to be the tension that, that sits as a barrier between this next code and, and what we are called to do, our convenience. But here's the thing, I think if we can come face to face with the truth of the gospel and fall even more in love with Jesus, I believe we can run with this next statement. Are you ready to see it? All right. Here it is. Whatever it takes, wherever it takes us. It messes with my convenience a little bit. Whatever it takes, wherever it takes us. That is a bold statement. And think about it in terms of what we heard last week, the relentless pursuit of one more. Uh, Jesus goes way out of his way to go after one person, to pursue one person. And I want to ask, what is behind that? Why would he choose to do that? It seems rather inconvenient and messy and uncomfortable. And yet, what I feel like I see in the attitude and the heart of Jesus is that he's willing to do whatever it takes, wherever it takes him. I want to look at a different story. It's actually a parable. It's not a story at all. It's a parable, which is kind of like a story uh, that, that isn't necessarily an event, but it's a story to illuminate our minds to something greater outside of ourselves. And so if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 31. If you are brand new here, you don't have a Bible, you're newer to the Bible, newer to church, uh, we always have our scripture on the screens, and so you can follow along in that way and not feel like you're lost. And then what I'm going to do is I'm not going to unpack the entire parable. Uh, There's so much in this one specifically, uh, but I want to just look at a couple bits and pieces to help bring some clarity to what we're talking about as it relates to this code, whatever it takes, wherever it takes us. So Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. Let me stop there. What in the world are we talking about here? 
this kind of like celestial, weird sort of language. What is Jesus referring to? Well, there's a couple clues uh, that give us some sort of hints about what he's referring to. And what he's referring to is what we as Christians believe and what we believe the Bible teaches is that there's going to be a second coming of Jesus. That Jesus is actually going to come back. He's going to return. And in his return, he's going to restore and renew all things, all creation. And part of the reason we know that is because he uses this phrase, son of man. And what he's doing is he's giving himself this title, the son of man, which uh, signifies this glorified Jesus, this transformed Jesus that takes place in some future event. And that's what we refer to as the second coming. And he's on a, a throne, which signifies that Now he is king. He's king over everything. He's king over the entire universe, and there's angels. This is beautiful sort of ethereal scene that we see right here in this first verse. Let's continue to read on. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people, one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. So what is he talking about here? I don't want you to get too hung up on sheep and goats and the metaphor that Jesus chooses to use, uh, but essentially he's putting people on his right and his left, and that's significant of something in this future event of the, the second coming of Jesus. And essentially what he's about to do is take an inventory, sort of assess these two groups of people. Based on what? What is he basing this inventory on? Let's continue to read. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. This is what Jesus says to the people on his right. So he's taking an inventory, an assessment of the life that they have lived, and they get an inheritance for the life that they lived. And specifically, the life that they lived was one that had an attitude and action that cared for the marginalized, for the outcast, for the downtrodden, for the hurting, for the poor, the broken. These people, the righteous people, get an inheritance for caring for the outcast. This is important to pay attention to. Ultimately, what Jesus is saying here is that he has a concern for the marginalized. Let's continue to read on. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when? When did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? They're sort of surprised by this. What What are you talking about? It's a a good thing, but they're, they're sort of confused about what Jesus is saying. The king will reply, I tell you the truth. Here's where we get to our code statement. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. So not only are we just talking about caring for marginalized people, that that's a good thing, but Jesus now says these marginalized people are the least of these brothers of mine. These are mine. What code do you think that that symbolizes that we've talked about in the first week? I'll give you a hint. It rhymes with ooh, belong, okay? You belong, right? You belong to Jesus. 
specifically marginalized people belong to Jesus. God is on the side of the outcast, the broken, the hurting, the oppressed. God takes their side. He calls them his own. You cared for these people. And you get a reward for it. You get an inheritance, which is the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. And now we turn a corner. Verse 30, or sorry, verse 41. Because there's another group he's got to talk to. And he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, you didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger and needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these you didn't do for me then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Would have been better if I just didn't read that section, right? (laughs) This would have been a much easier morning for us, a much more convenient day for us if I just stopped at verse 40, right? Some of you are feeling that. And some of you who maybe struggle uh, with the church or struggle to know the love of God, you look at verses like this and you're like, see, that's, that's why I want nothing to do with Christianity. And I get it. But I don't want to run away from these verses and the importance of what Jesus is referring to here. See, this whole event here and how we care for the marginalized or not has eternal significance. It matters deeply to Jesus. He is deeply concerned with how we treat the marginalized. In fact, he says, when you didn't do these things, you didn't, you didn't do them for me. And so it matters. And there's a, an eternal significance and destination attached to this. This is harsh and hard to hear. And maybe for some of us who have grown up in the church or grown up with the Bible, this might actually seem confusing to some of us. Right? So we talk about this idea that you belong, and some of the basis for that is some other verses that we read in the Bible. For it's by grace that you have been saved. I thought it was all about grace through faith, and I can't take any credit for this. It doesn't matter what my works are. It doesn't matter what my good deeds are. It's all about grace. Through grace, I have been saved, and some of you are thinking this right now. It seems like as we read this, uh, that our good works and our good action has eternal ramifications. So which one is it? Is it our good works or is it our grace, God's grace that he's given us? And I would say this to you, yes. Yes, it's both. More specifically, I would say our grace, how we live it out, what we do with the gift of grace that God has given us matters to Jesus as well. In fact, the brother of Jesus, James, goes on to say this in the book of James. He says, your faith without works is dead. It's dead. It's useless. I think about it like this. Like if I were to give you a gift around Christmas time, and I wrap it up nicely, and I'm really excited to give it to you, and I give it to you, and then I come back and I visit you in January, and I see on your dining room table, it's still sitting there, and it's all wrapped. And you haven't, you haven't opened it, you haven't even used it. It was a brand new blender, and you didn't use it. <laughs> Guess what? I'm going to be really hurt by that, but not only that, I'm going to think, what, what a waste. 
What a waste of a gift that you wouldn't even open it, you wouldn't even use it. How much more for the gift of grace that we've been given in Jesus, that he has lost his life, that he has done whatever it takes to save us, to welcome us into his family, to say that you belong, to encounter him, but then to do nothing with it. This is a big deal, what Jesus is talking about. I'll say it again, Jesus cares deeply about what we do with this life we've been given. There's a story of a man who decided to dress up as though he were homeless and sort of depict himself in that way. And what he did is he wanted to go into this church. And he goes into a rather large church and he starts to interact with some people. He tries to at least. He asks a a few people if they would be willing to give him some change and they they don't want to have anything to do with him. Uh, He tries to greet them and say hello to them. And again, they're kind of disgusted, sort of annoyed by this guy. Why would he do this? Uh, This is church, like we're supposed to, you know, kind of be all cleaned up and put together. That's what church is for, is sort of this mentality that these people have. And so nobody really interacts with this man at all. And eventually uh, the service is about to start, and so he finds himself a seat, and closer to the back, he sits down. And the service starts, they do some music, and then there's an announcement portion, and one of the elders comes up on the stage and begins to give some announcements, and he announces, hey, we've hired our new pastor And in fact, he's here today and we want to introduce him to you. And everybody's excited and they all start clapping and they're cheering. And all of a sudden, in the back, this man stands up. He's dressed as though he is homeless. He gets up, he starts to walk toward the front, and the cheering starts to die down a little bit. They're looking at this man, like, what what in the world is he doing? Why is he getting up? He walks all the way to the front, he walks to the stage, he gets on stage, he picks up a Bible. And he says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him. And he begins to read the rest of the parable of Matthew chapter 25. This is their new pastor, dressed as a homeless man. And he begins to recount his experience from the morning and how people were treating him and, and, and trying not to shame them, but at the same time getting them to recognize the sort of attitude and behaviors and actions that they had or didn't have toward this man. And he begins to sort of speak into a vision that he has for the church, and he says this really profound line. I just want to read it for us. He says, I look around and I see a lot of people in church today. See, the church has enough people, but not enough disciples. When will you become disciples? When will you become the kinds of people who are willing to do whatever it takes, wherever it takes you? How will you treat the poor, the marginalized, the outcast, the broken, the downtrodden? What is your attitude and your action toward them? See, he goes directly at the jugular of their convenience and their comfort and their complacency. Sort of a funny thing that I recently heard, I wasn't here when this happened, uh, but some of you may know Dan Pratt, one of the pastors who used to be here, actually tried to do this exact same story several years ago. 
He, tried, he, he knew about this story. He tried to do the exact same thing so that he could, he could come in and then he could preach and give the same message. But here's the thing about Life Church, and I love this, it backfired on him. <laughs> the people actually cared about him. They, they cared for him. He was actually standing out on Warren Road, and apparently it was like really hot, and, and he was all dressed up, and his clothes were soaked in vinegar, so he just reeked, and, and, uh, and he, was, he, he had makeup on, so nobody recognized him. And people from Life Church actually went out, and and tried to take care of him. He was out on Warren Road. And they go to Pastor Ron Wrightson, who many of you have shaken his hand every single week that you've come here at the entrance. And they're like, Ron, 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 there's this guy. He's, he's homeless and we need to take care of him. We should get him something to eat. We should get him something to drink. <laughs> and so it backfired. He couldn't come up and give the message that he wanted to give and try to convict everybody because everybody was for him. <laughs> that is the heart and the spirit of Life Church. Way to go. Way to go. That's amazing. Already, see, th this is not a new statement for Life Church. Th this is actually already weaved into the fabric of who you are. But let's not take our foot off the gas. Let's keep going. Let's keep that heart. Let's keep that mentality. I want to break down the words and talk through each one of these. Let's talk about the word whatever. In our culture, how many of you have teenagers? Well, that wasn't even a joke. I just, <laughs> you, have teen, you already know where I'm going with this. I guess I can be done. Uh, no, you have teenagers and you ask them about their day. How was your day? What do you want to do today? And what is their answer? Whatever. 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 Sort of a sign of apathy. It's kind of got a negative connotation, right? Or maybe not, it's not just teenagers. It's in our marriages as well. Hey, babe, where do you want to go to eat tonight? Or you get in an argument about something and you just want to give up, what do you say? Whatever, whatever. It's a sign of negativity, I just don't care, it's apathy, right? Like this word has taken on a new flavor in our current culture, our context. But Jesus kind of gives us a redeemed version of this word. He says this, just two places in the Gospel of John. He says, very truly I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself, he can only do what he sees the father doing, because whatever, whatever the father does, the Son also does. His command leads to eternal life. In another place, he says, so whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. Whatever the Father does and says, Jesus does and says. Remember, we talked about this last week, that Jesus was hungry to do the will of the Father in order to do whatever it takes, wherever it takes him. does whatever. What is the whatever? What's the what? A little bit later on, we're going to sing a song, and one of the lyrics goes like this, Spirit, lead me. Well, that's a, that was the last song that we sang. There's another song that we're going to sing, sorry, that, that says this phrase. It says, God, break my heart for what breaks yours. For whatever breaks yours. What do you think breaks God's heart? Could it be as simple as looking back at Matthew 25? Seeing the poor, the marginalized, the outcast, the broken, the oppressed. That breaks God's heart, absolutely. Physically speaking, people who are in need, people who are hungry and thirsty and naked, yes, absolutely, that breaks God's heart from a, from a physical standpoint. And I would say from a spiritual standpoint as well. 
See, in my time in ministry, I was part of a, a church that was in a really affluent neighborhood. It was an affluent church. There was a lot of wealthy and successful people, and I had many uh, opportunities to meet with them and counsel them. Lots of wealthy, successful people who didn't have any of these physical needs, but I got to tell you, they had some serious spiritual needs. They were spiritually hungry and thirsty and imprisoned. And sometimes, in a lot of cases, it was directly resulting, uh, directly connected to their success and their wealth. See, we both have physical nakedness and spiritual nakedness. That's, that's what breaks God's heart. We're willing to care for these people. Both groups are needy. And needy people are inconvenient, aren't they? But God calls us to do whatever it takes. Let's talk about it. What is the it? We sang it in the first song. The kingdom of God. The kingdom work of God. Caring for the hurting, the poor, the oppressed. Jesus puts it this way in Luke chapter 4, one of his first sermons that he preaches. He preaches out of the book of Isaiah, a prophetic book that was written several hundred years before Jesus even shows up on the scene. And he preaches this message and he says this, that I have come to preach good news to the poor and to set the captives free, to give sight to the blind and to release the oppressed. See, as we look at these two codes, whatever it takes, wherever it takes us, and relentless pursuit of one more, they're almost two sides of the same coin. The relentless pursuit of one more is to preach the good news. It's to tell people about Jesus, but the whatever it takes, wherever it takes us, is that kingdom work, that justice work that God has called us to, that's all part of the kingdom. Both have to work hand in hand, telling people about Jesus, serving the needs of others. And both of them get at the heart of our convenience. We have to be willing to step outside. And so that takes us to the next, the next word, takes. Whatever it takes. Taking implies that something is being taken from me. It's a sacrifice. I'm losing something. Taking is at the very heart of Jesus. It's something that has to be given up. It is sacrificial. That's happened in big and small ways here at Life Church. Uh, a little while back, uh, Life Church, we were trying to raise money for Ebenezer Glen Orphanage in Haiti, people who are deeply in need, right? And so as part of that process, as part of raising $13,000, uh, Jeff from our leadership team and Kate, one of our pastors, decided to shave their heads. Uh, to, to bring greater awareness to this. Now, I don't know about you, but Jeff, uh, it doesn't look like he lost all that much. I don't know if it made him prettier or not, but Kate definitely uh, lost a lot of hair. She had super long hair. And so just willing to do whatever it takes, even as much as losing her hair. Now, I've lost my hair involuntarily, but you don't see me getting $13,000, right? That's for another day. This has happened in a variety of different ways. Life women, they have regular service opportunities to do whatever they can to serve within our community. Fairly recently, they went to the Ronald McDonald House in Ann Arbor, which is an opportunity to, to prepare meals for families in need. And specifically, these are families who are staying in free housing while their children are being cared for long-term in the hospital. It's a sacrifice to give up their time, to, to, to take time away from their families, maybe even their jobs, or their regular schedule to be inconvenienced for the sake of others. 
This looks like a lot of different things. For some of you, you invest in our youth, our, our life kids, our life youth. Uh, you, you set aside time on a Wednesday night and you hang out with teenagers. Teenagers, you're in the room right now if you are. Uh, this stage of life that you're in maybe feels really hard, maybe feels really challenging and awkward and your body is changing and hormones are, are going all over the place and that affects the way that this room smells even and that's okay. But our volunteers are here to be with you, to come alongside you and to care for you and to say you belong to, no matter what you're going through. You belong. And that feels like a sacrifice for those of you who would even think about investing in youth. But then the more you do it, it doesn't feel like a sacrifice at all. It actually feels more like a joy and a blessing. I worked in student ministries for 10 years. I wouldn't trade those 10 years for anything. I loved it. I love what our youth are all about and what and the potential they have in this church. Some of you, it's a sacrifice to sit down with somebody who doesn't look like you and to have a hard conversation about their background and their story and to learn about them, to invest in them, not to treat them like a project, but to actually befriend them for the sake of unity. That's hard. It could feel like it costs you something. Either way, taking involves movement and change and there's a transfer or a transaction that's happening where something of mine is lost so that something greater is gained. This is the very heart of the cross of Jesus, right? He loses his life for the sake of new life. New life can begin because of what Jesus has done. Now, it doesn't just stop with Jesus. Now, you and I who claim to be Christians, who claim to be followers of Jesus, now we are invited into this cross-shaped life so that we can look out for the needs of others. It is sacrificial, it is countercultural, and it is definitely not convenient because we're willing to do whatever it takes, wherever it takes us. Let's talk about wherever Wherever, wherever, this is what I mentioned before. We're going to sing, a, we sang Oceans where we talked about this idea that we want the Spirit to lead us where our trust is without borders. Where is that where for you? And I want to be clear, I want to make a distinction. The where, when we pray that bold prayer to say, Spirit, lead me. It's not, Spirit, help me find that good parking spot at Kroger. It's not, Spirit, help me just make sure that my latte tastes really good this morning. That's not what we're talking about. That, just, that doesn't increase my trust in any way, shape, or form, right? That doesn't increase my faith so that my comforts and my convenience can be greater. No. Spirit, lead me where I need to trust you more because it might be hard. It might be inconvenient. And ultimately what it's about is praying that prayer, Spirit, lead me, ultimately to come into alignment with what God's will for your life is. And that's not to say that God's will for your life is, is just going to be hard, it's going to be uh, annoying all the time, uh, that you just, you're going to hate it. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. It, sometimes when you're following God's will and you know it, it just feels right. But sometimes the process to get there can be really hard. I'll give you a perfect example me and my family moving here. I, I can't tell you how many different confirmations it was uh, for us that it was like, oh yeah, we're, we're supposed to move to Canton from Minnesota. 
we're, we're supposed to take this role at Life Church. Everything made sense. It was like absolutely we were in alignment with God's will. But then when it actually took time to execute that plan and to start moving from state to state is hard. It's just inconvenient moving. But also relationally to sit down with my, at the time, seven-year-old son or eight-year-old son and say, hey, buddy, we, we feel like God is calling our family to, to go do something different. And it's going to be really good. And, and we feel like we're really supposed to be a part of something. But it means we have to say goodbye to some friends. And to watch the tears roll down his face as an eight-year-old boy. To recognize how hard that is. To change his school. To change what's comfortable for him. What's familiar for him. To say goodbye to his friends that who knows if they'll ever see each other again. It's hard. It's hard to explain to my eight-year-old son what God's calling on my life is when he doesn't know how to articulate that just yet. And yet we are so glad to be here. It's hard to stand in line for three and a half hours at the Michigan Secretary of State. <laughs> I don't know if you go further with that one. You know what I'm talking about. Wherever, wherever looks like a lot of different things. It could be a physical location, a geographical change, right? You need to get up and go somewhere else. For the disciples, it was first Jerusalem, but now you need to go to Judea. And then you need to go to Samaria, where there are people who don't think like you and look like you and believe like you, and then ultimately to the ends of the earth. For Life Church in our history, it's been, okay, we're in Canton. Oh, we, we should also go to Southfield. We should also go to Livonia, and then, and then next Auburn Hills. And then next year, we're going to go to Hawaii, right, where I'm going to be the next pastor. No, it's not about my convenience, is it? This is what we do. For you, maybe it's within your family. Your ministry is to your family and you're willing to do whatever it takes, wherever it takes you with your family, relationally. Maybe it's your, your neighborhood. Maybe it's your, your life group that you're in. You say, well, I'm not in a life group. Today's the day. Sign up for a life group. You need to be with people and not do life alone so that you can grow and you can change and you can be become a disciple. Maybe it's where you're volunteering. You're thinking, I don't volunteer. Today's the day. You got to volunteer. You got to be part of something bigger than yourself. You got to be willing to do whatever it takes, wherever it takes you. Sign up to volunteer. We'll help you get plugged in where you need to go. Maybe it's your neighborhood, your neighbors who, who maybe don't know Jesus. Maybe it's your school. Maybe it's your workplace. Wherever it can look like a lot of different things, but ultimately, what we pray is, Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Where are you willing to go? Maybe it's a spiritual or mindset shift. Maybe, maybe you need to change your attitude or your mind about something. Paul says to the Roman church, he says, be transformed. Go through this process of transformation. By what? By the renewing of your mind. The way that you think about the world around you, the way that you think about God even, the way that you think about people other than yourself. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Maybe, maybe, and this is a hard one, maybe the wherever is our wallets, our bank account. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. How are we doing in this area? Because this one's really hard. It's hard for me. And yet I have continued to learn about tithing and trusting. They go hand in hand. It is absolutely inconvenient. 
but our family is committed to it because we're willing to do whatever it takes. Where are you at with your finances? Is this one sort of where you draw the line, where you say, nah, I'm good with everything else. I'll, I'll even serve the poor, but not, uh, I can't do that with my money. Where is your trust at? What are you willing to do? Do you know where your money goes? Jesus says, wherever the, your treasure is, there the heart's desire will also be. Where your treasure is, is what you ultimately desire. Where does your money go? Do you not know where your money goes? If that's the case, uh, then you absolutely need to consider signing up for Financial Peace University to get your finances in order, but also so that you can grow in your generosity and to do whatever it takes, wherever it takes us. I I'm convinced that if this area doesn't get transformed, we're not even going to come close to this. We're just not. We might, we might get past relentless pursuit of one more, but we're not going to get to this. God is calling us by his spirit to lead us where our trust is without borders, even in the wherever, the area of our finances. God, lead us where our trust is without borders. And then lastly, we talked about it, we talked about takes. What about us? Who is the us? Who is the us? Well, that's just the staff and the volunteers, right? No, no, no. It's any of us who have put our hope and our trust in Jesus who call ourselves Christians. That's us. That's us. Now, some of you maybe aren't there yet. You haven't given your life to Jesus. And so this one probably doesn't make a whole lot of sense for you. And that's fine. We're going to continue to make sure that you belong, that you can encounter Jesus. We're going to lead you throughout that process. But just know that when you say yes to Jesus, you become a disciple of Jesus. Eventually, this is what it looks like. And then you become part of us. I want to ask you a question. Where are you at with this? Those of you who call Life Church your home, those of you who call yourself a Christian, where are you at with this? I want to give you an illustration. Are you wearing a bib or an apron? What am I talking about? Do you have a bib on? What's your mentality? This is not a promotion for Red Lobster. This is just an illustration, okay? Are you wearing a bib or an apron? What do I mean? What's symbolic of somebody who wears a bib? It's most likely a baby, a child, right? Give me, I want, me, feed me. I want to consume. And it kind of, after a while, looks a little ridiculous for an adult to be wearing a bib. You can't even take me seriously right now as I wear this, right? <laughs> then why should we expect the world to take the church seriously? if this is what we look like most of the time. Feed me. Let me consume. Let me be convenient. This is the opposite of whatever it takes, wherever it takes us. Church, I want you to consider, prayerfully consider, asking the Spirit to help us remove the bib and to put on the apron. Because what does the apron signify? Service. I'm here for you. What can I do for you? How can I help? What can I do to serve you? Apron is the essence of whatever it takes, wherever it takes us. And again, I want to be clear. I'm talking to those of you who call Life Church your home, who call yourself Christians. Are you wearing a bib? Are you wearing an apron? 
Would you please stand with me? For some of you right now who maybe don't know Jesus, and you're thinking about that phrase, God, break my heart for what breaks yours. One of the things that breaks God's heart is those people who feel like God is far from them. Like you're thinking right now, well, I've done too much that God would never love me. God could never say to me that I belong. I've run so far away from God. Surely he wouldn't do whatever it takes, whatever, wherever it takes him. But you know where it took him? It took him to the cross because that's how much he wants you to know that you belong. And so if you don't know Jesus today, I want to invite you to pray something like this with me. Jesus, I need you in my life. I have felt like I am far from you, but you are standing right there. God, I'm sorry for the things that I have done, the things that I've left undone. I want to be a part of your kingdom, part of that inheritance. I want to, I want to do whatever it takes, wherever it takes me, and that might mean into a relationship with you. And then for the rest of us in this room, we might need to recommit our lives in such a way where we take off our bibs. Maybe we've just been consuming. Maybe we just thought, I just want the church to feed me and do everything for me. It's time to take off the bib and to put on an apron and to live with a mindset to do whatever it takes and to go wherever it takes us. Spirit, lead us where our trust is without borders. Hey, thanks so much for listening. If you want to find out more information about Life Church Canton or other churches in the Life Church Network, you can go to lifechurchcanton.org or fill out the form linked in the show notes below and someone from the church will reach out to you with more information. If you came to Life Church for the first time this past weekend, we would love to know about it. We believe that life isn't meant to be lived in isolation, but we want to connect with you and learn to live like Jesus in community together. If you want to email the show, you can do that at podcast at lifechurchcanton.org. You can subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts, and if you're enjoying it, please share it with a friend and leave us a review. Once again, my name is Sam Parham, and you've been listening to the Life Church Canton Podcast. Have a great week, everybody.